for tuning in to the 297th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you all for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, IR Radio, SoundCloud, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. I'm being recorded from Buffalo, New York, as always. Uh, first of all, what I, what I do want to say before I talk about some stuff that's going to happen on this podcast, by the way, yeah, I'll get into it right now. Uh, 20 for 20, Ben Karen, host of the Sports Wilder podcast. We're going to talk about the most clutchest athletes last two decades, so from 2000 to this year, 2021. But before we have Ben on, uh, I do want to say this. A lot of people liked when I had Mr. Zach on, a.k.a. Zach Williford, right? Uh, so we're going to be getting him more on with the NBA the next couple. Just want to let everybody know because I got a lot of raving reviews from that podcast. A lot of people liked the takes. So uh, we got to get Mr. Zach uh, back on the pod. So just want to let everybody know that. But if this is your first time listening to this podcast, subscribe and follow right now. Share it on whichever podcasting platform uh, you guys have or Facebook group chats, uh, Facebook groups, excuse me. Also Reddit threads, etc., etc. Follow me on Twitter at Nitrate underscore Lane and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, just type in Daryl Lane and you will find it. And lastly, leave, if you have Apple or iTunes, leave a five-star review and a great comment. And if you don't like my podcast, it's like, how the hell could that happen? Then don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Ben Karen, host the Sports Club of the Podcast for a 24-20, the top 20 Clutchest athletes of this past two decades. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a teacher, a high school psychologist, a college grad, a Texas A&M college grad, a doctor, a father, a son, maybe a future grandfather in the foreseeable future, hopefully, like 40 years from now. Ben Karen, host of the Sports Father Podcast. How you doing, Ben? Ah, Daryl, it's great to be on the show tonight. Thanks for having me. So what me and Ben are going to do today is we're going to do another 20 for 20, because I know everybody likes them when we do them, and we're going to do the top 20 clutchest athletes of the past two decades. So from 2000 all the way to now, which is 2021, so 21 years. So Ben, first what I want to ask you is this. Were there any surprises as you were doing the list or anything interesting? Like, like as you were doing it, they were like, oh, I didn't think this person would be on here. Oh, I'm kind of surprised this person was out. Yeah, I had a few surprises. Um, 
you think about a lot of big name athletes in some of these sports, and uh, you find out maybe hey, they're they're not quite as clutch as you might think, um, and and you know vice versa. Some some people maybe you didn't consider that strongly at first, and then you realize, wow, they actually accomplished quite a few impressive feats. So first, what I'll do is I'll let you start first, Ben. So at number twenty, who do you have? Okay, so before I get going on this, just to you know, add a little bit of um, insight as to how I was picking, I was looking at athletes that have been under extreme pressure, athletes that have um, responded on the big stage before. Uh, so those were some of the, the key things that I was looking at, Daryl. And um, number 20, uh, he's a guy that's getting talked about a lot right now. Um, not necessarily because of people like him, unfortunately, but um, my guy at number 20, Daryl, is Tim Tebow. And when you look at his athletic career, it has been pretty impressive. He was a time BCS national champion, um, including, of course, that epic speech that he gave after the Alabama loss, where they won out the rest of the season. Uh, and then he came to the NFL, and he had a great season in 2011. Uh, even though nobody really shows much respect for him, people forget. Um, he took over, I believe it was in week five or six, and Kyle Orton had started and was one and four with the Denver Broncos before Tim came in. And uh, from that point on, Tim kind of helped steady the ship, and uh, they finished eight and eight. Uh, during that stretch, he had six um, games where it, he either had a fourth quarter comeback or an overtime win. Uh, and then, of course, he had that legendary playoff win at home in Mile High where uh, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in overtime. And, Daryl, dare I remind you, they were a substantial underdog to win that game. So I have Tim Tebow, number 20. Who do you have? Big Shot Bob. He has seven rings. Wasn't always the best player on his team. Actually, he was never the best player on his team. But a guy you know well as a Spurs fan, Ben. He won rings with the Spurs, the Lakers, the Houston Rockets, Robert Ory. Uh, most of the championships, I believe, only second to Bill Russell and everybody that played on those Celtics teams in the in the 60s. Like, uh, seven championships. Uh, people remember him for hitting multiple big shots. Uh, he hit shots in the finals when he was playing with the Rockets, when he was playing with the Keem Olajuwon. 2020, uh, 2000, uh, 2001 NBA Finals uh, hits a game winner against the Philadelphia 76ers. People will remember uh, the 2002 Western Conference Finals against the Sacramento Kings, uh, where he hit a game winning shot that ended up helping the Lakers coming uh, back when they were down in the series. And that series ended up being seven games. So a lot of big time shots, big time clutch moments for uh, teams that were dynasties. Uh, that propelled those teams to help win the series. So for number 20 for me is Robert Ory. That's a great pick, Daryl. Um, I didn't even consider Big Shot Bob, but I like that pick a lot. He was one of those unsung guys, but uh, super impactful. Like the ultimate role player. Oh, absolutely. I remember him making key shots. I remember him where, you know, helping the Spurs win some titles. Uh, so near dear to my heart, for sure. <laughs> All right, Daryl. At number 19, 
Um, I have another guy that's probably going to come as a surprise to a lot of people. Um, Jermaine Curse, uh, wide receiver in the NFL. And uh, not a lot of people remember this probably, but he had a couple of huge playoff games during the uh, 2014-2015 season for the Seahawks. Um, he had that big catch in the NFC Championship game that helped the Seahawks uh, get over um, on Green Bay in overtime. Um, and then also in the Super Bowl, Daryl, he had uh, the key play that actually set up Russell Wilson and the Seahawks at the goal line and gave them an opportunity to win the game. Uh, as far as my memory goes, that's it. I have amnesia after that point for the rest of that game. Uh, but uh, Jermaine Curse, an unsung hero for the Seattle Seahawks, made a couple of big catches um, and was a definite contributor to those years when the Seahawks were in the Super Bowl. That's an interesting pick. Uh, now, for me, at number 19, I'm going to pick a guy that uh, has been in the news recently, you know, maybe not for the best of reasons. And this might shock you, Ben, that I have him on here. Uh, but I'm going to explain this. Deshaun Watson. Uh, I'm taking into account his college career, too. He was your number one college guy uh, in college football of the past decade. Uh, multiple clutch moments uh, as a Clemson Tiger. Let's just start there. Uh, taking out the big bad boogeyman in Alabama in, in one year where he did everything but win the game because, you know, he can't play defense. And Dabo Sweeney called him the Michael Jordan of college football. And if we were doing this, the clutchest athletes of all time, I think Michael Jordan would be number one on your list, right, Ben? I think he'd have a chance. See, and, and would be number one, but he'd be in the top five. For and, sure. and, and and that's what Dabble Swinney was comparing Deshaun to. Then if you go to his NFL uh, career, Houston, they didn't always have the best teams, but always consistently in these games. I remember as a Bills fan, I'm still having post dramatic stress from that playoff game a couple years ago when it seemed we had it, and Deshaun Watson was like, no. I'm still I'm still having nightmares about that game, Ben, and it still bothers me to this day. Uh, but I can't get too much into that. But Deshaun is at number nineteen for me. That's a that's a great pick as well, Daryl. Um, so many big moments for Deshaun Watson, especially the year he won the national title game on the goal line late. Um, I believe he hit uh, what was it uh, Hunter Renfro for the uh, game winning touchdown. I think so. Yeah, that was that was an incredible moment, um, and in my opinion, kind of the start of of possibly a Clemson dynasty. Um, kind of that that uh, power shift where Alabama and Clemson were going to sit atop the college football throne for a while. Um, so great pick there. Um, number eighteen is a guy uh, that we've been hearing a lot of talk about in the media recently, and that would be Damian Lillard. Um, Hasn't made the NBA Finals yet, only made the Western Conference Finals one time, but he has had some big moments, Daryl, in the playoffs. Um, 2014, when he was a second-year player, of course, he hit that buzzer-beater three, um, and he sent the Houston Rockets home. And also, I believe he delivered uh, the first playoff series win for the Portland Trailblazers that they'd had in over a decade at that point in time. So that's pretty impressive. Um, and, of course, when we talk about clutch players, sometimes we also have to consider those iconic moments. Um, and we'll never forget when he hit the iconic three-pointer uh, from 37 feet out to send Russell Westbrook 
playoff Pete in the <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunder home and then did the trademark wave. I actually saw that live, and I just thought that guy was as cool as ice out there. Um, Damian Lillard has had some incredible moments. Um, those are a couple of the biggest ones for me, and I think um, he deserves to be on the list as a result. Ben, is this the last time you're going to mention playoff P on this list? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the last time. <laughs> you know, I do have to say this really quickly. It is ironic that uh, his nickname is Playoff P, yet uh, I don't have him on my list. And I guess based off what you said, you don't have him on this list. Neither of us have him on. We don't have him on our list. And his nickname is Playoff P. It's like an oxymoron. Maybe we'll have him on uh, after this season. Who knows? I'm hoping for the best for him. He seems like a nice guy, but uh, only time will tell. Would he, would he, he for his career? Would he be on a, a twenty for twenty non-clutch athletes? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We ought to do that. <laughs> we might that be interesting. That might that might that's a little negative, but yes, I think he might be in the running. You you can make a case for Paul George for that. Uh, so for me at number eighteen, I'm going to go with the guy you already mentioned, Tim. Tebow, as Skip Bayless used to say, all he does is win games, and that is. And we talk about Deshaun Watson, too. The college career, what he did with Urban Meyer and the Florida Gators. Uh, a Florida Gators team that was not great before he got there. When he got there, uh, all they did was win. They won two national titles. One year he did not start. The other year he did. Heisman Trophy winner. Always performing well in the big games. I think he holds multiple still to this day. SEC uh, stats. Then you go to the NFL. Uh, you mentioned this one and four Kyle Orton starting the Denver Broncos were not good. He gave him a jolt, uh, and they won multiple games. And these games were close, nip and tuck. We're talking about 13 to 12. And Tim did not play well through quarters one through three, but his QBR, his quarterback rating was really good in the fourth quarter, and he found a way to win games with his legs, whether it was his legs or with his arms. And then if you even go back to the the playoff game, I, I mean, I mean, obviously. Pittsburgh, I don't know what they were doing. That uh, Demarius Thomas, I believe it was Demarius Thomas, he threw it to, was wide open. But, I mean, he made, he made the throw. He made the throw. And it's in overtime. You need to steal the deal against a team that's probably better than you in the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you do it. Uh, and not a lot of guys can make the easy throws in the big moments, but Tim could. Uh, and that's why he's, for me, at number 18. Uh, just one of the clutch guys. And also in terms of the clutchness, he makes people believe in the waning moments that they can win. I think he genuinely made people believe, uh, which I think is also important. In fact, when you talk about how he affects other people around, I think he's a guy when you're in the fourth quarter and you're huddling, he's like, we can do this. People are like, yeah. Whereas playoff P can be like, we can do this. And you're like, can we really? <laughs> well, I said I wouldn't mention him again. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, Tim Tebow, though, Daryl, I mean, he's he's amazing. I think he gets a lot of negative um, criticism. And I'm just happy the guy's getting a second chance because I think he's deserving of one. All he does is win. He's a baller and a shot caller. <laughs> a little throwback there. Um, so number 17 for me will probably come as a surprise to a lot of people. Um, but uh, this next athlete's an Olympic champion. Um, and she's also um, a member of the uh, most recent FIFA World Cup Championship soccer team. Um, and that would be Abby Wambach. She was kind of the uh, bridge leader for the American women's team, kind of in between um, 
Mia Hamm, and then, you know, up, up until the present time, Alex Morgan, Carly Lloyd, uh, players like that. Um, and really, Daryl had some truly, truly iconic moments. Um, the iconic uh, game-tying goal in the World Cup quarterfinals against Brazil, um, I believe that was in 2011, was incredible. That's an interesting pick. That's an interesting it was pick. 2011 or 2015, but it, it was it was an incredible play. It, it happened in extra um, extra time, um, and then uh, the U.S. went on to win that game on penalty kicks. And uh, he also was a key player um, on the squad in 2011. They came up a little bit short that year against Japan. Um, however, she was the only American player in that game when they went to penalty kicks that was able to execute a penalty kick. Um, she has a numerous records for goals scored in the FIFA World Cup. Um, Abby Wambach, a lot of credibility when it comes to being a clutch player. But not a household name. So for me, I'm going to give you somebody that is a household name. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, when we talk about clutch, I mean, I mean, you can make an argument like, is he the most clutchest player in the NFL right now? I mean, you can argue Brady, but I mean, if your team is down, I mean, if your if your team is up twenty points heading into the third, heading into the second half of the game, and Patrick Mahomes is across the sideline, I'm scared. I don't know about you, Ben, but I'm scared. Uh, the Super Bowl year a couple years ago when they beat the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl, uh, they were down by double digits multiple times against the heck, against the Texans, and they erupt. Against the Tennessee Titans, they erupt. And then against the San Francisco 49ers in that front seven, they erupt. Uh, even when you go look at uh, even the year prior, uh, always being able to come back from behind, consistently putting pressure on their opponents. Uh, even we saw this year, this past year, uh, Kansas City, they're in a lot of close games, and Patrick Mahomes, he's like a Houdini. He always gets the job done. So for me, Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to have him at number 17. Yeah, it's a good pick. I think he's had some really big-time moments. Uh, for me personally, man, it, he left a bad taste in my mouth after he fell really, really short in that Super Bowl uh, earlier this year. And I know they probably lost to a better team, but... I think his play left something to be desired. Um, what do you have to say in response to that? In terms of him being on my list, I didn't take that into complete consideration because, like, I, I think he's had so many more clutch moments that outweigh that. But, yes, in the biggest game, you know, I mean, he wasn't great, but neither was that entire Kansas City team. I mean, I, I think they got beat up. They got beat up, like, like well, badly. Certainly be a recency biased on my part, but I it left a bad taste in my mouth. I think it left a bad taste in Patrick Mahomes' mouth too. <laughs> I guess we're about to find out, man. I, I would not want to be playing out in the AFC West against that team this year. Oh no, that that, that is very true. No, no, they're they're going to come back for a revenge tour, Michigan style, except that they actually win. Number 16 for me, Daryl, is a household name for a lot of people. Um, and that guy would be Dwayne Wade. We all know him, three-time NBA champion. LeBron's um, kind of pseudo big brother that taught him how to win in the NBA. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people, Daryl, they forget about what this guy was doing during that run that the Heat had 
in 2006. Because this playoff uh, run was special for the Heat. Um, he had the uh, amazing um, performance against the Pistons. I believe it was Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, playing with flu-like symptoms and, and still just closing out the Pistons. Uh, I thought that was very Jordan-esque at the time. Um, and then it, it just in the finals, they got down 0-2 against the Dallas Mavericks. And from that point on, Daryl, for games three through six, the Heat won all four of those games in a row. And in each one of those games, Dwayne Wade scored 35-plus points. And at that moment, for me, even with Kobe Bryant out there, I said, wow, this is the closest thing I've seen since Michael Jordan. And I think that overall injuries kind of cut his career short of what it could have been, but he still managed some impressive numbers um, in both closeout games with, during the Big Three era in Miami when he won the other two rings. In both closeout games, Daryl, he posted double-doubles. And also, um, just so that you know, before this was a thing in 2012 in the NBA Finals, he actually shot 40% from behind the arc. Oh, I didn't know that. And Dwayne Wade wasn't known to be a shooter. Yeah. Just in some incredible performances by Dwayne Wade. And an incredible leader as well. Yeah, that's a, Dwayne Wade was not on my list, but I mean, that's, that, that's a great pick. That, that, that's a great pick. Uh, hats off to you, that's a phenomenal pick. And obviously, you know... He's a guy that I think taught LeBron how to be clutch in a lot of regards, too. Uh, but, but no, Dwayne Wade was one of the most clutch players in the NBA. You always feared when Dwayne Wade in big games, he was always going to come up big. So for me, at number 16, I'm going to go with a guy that you probably know very well. Uh, big Poppy, David Ortiz, uh, one of the clutchest hitters. Uh, in MLB history, uh, was a big reason that the Red Sox were able to break the curse. Uh, three-time World Series champion. And, and something interesting about him, too, is in all of his uh, postseasons, he has twice as many walk-offs uh, as anyone ever, which I thought was crazy. Twice as many. Uh, he was a guy that always performed in the big moments, and he was always a guy that was, he was on the plate in a postseason game that you were you were worried about, uh, so I'm going to go with David Ortiz at number 16. David Ortiz, a living legend, and I'm not going to say too much about him here because I have him a little bit higher on my list. Um, but uh, his name will be getting called by me tonight. Number 15 for me um, is a guy a lot of people know about, and he's probably the best backup NFL quarterback of all time, and that would be Nick Foles. And, of course, his biggest clutch moments uh, where he came, uh, came off the bench for the Eagles to help guide them to their very first franchise Super Bowl victory. Um, in back-to-back games, he threw for 350-plus yards. Um, of course, first in that NFC Championship game against the Minnesota Vikings. And then, of course, in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. And also, Daryl... He was primed to possibly make a run the following year as well, and a lot of people don't remember that very well, but he actually went on the road to Soldier Field to beat the Chicago Bears in a playoff game, and he came up just short against the New Orleans Saints at, at uh, the Superdome. 
So a couple of really clutch um, postseason performances from Nick Foles. And I think it, it's just even more impressive because he did it as a backup quarterback. And a lot of times we think about backup quarterbacks as just being game managers, uh, not um, crucial, critical difference makers. That's a that's an interesting pick. That's an interesting pick with Nick. Uh, I think that is true. I will say this. I do agree with you on that. That you know, we we do think of quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks, when they come in the game, they're like, you know, don't mess up the game, don't f up the game, right? And then Nick Foles came, and he's like, okay, go win the game, <laughs> which is something you don't see from a lot of backup quarterbacks. Uh, so for me, at number fifteen, I'm gonna go with a guy that's part of one of the biggest moments in uh, Cleveland sports history, Kyrie Irving. 2016, a team is down 3-1 against the Golden State Warriors, and all Kyrie does is ball out. He outplays Steph Curry, a two-time MVP, and a one-time unanimous MVP, a team that won 73 games and broke Michael Jordan's Bulls record, I believe, in the 95-96 season, uh, and outplayed Steph Curry on both ends of the court uh, in Game 7, in Golden State, in the Oracle, on the road. He hits a he hits a step back jumper in Steph Curry's face, in Steph Curry's face, and at the court of this moment, we're talking about guys like Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, LeBron's on his team, Kevin Love. We're talking about a high level game with a bunch of really good dudes on the court, and Kyrie has the ball and just swishes it. And also, you go look back at those Cleveland days too. Kyrie always performed well. Always perform well in the big games. I mean, I think his rookie year, he actually led the NBA in clutch shooting as a rookie uh, in 2011. And even when you see in Brooklyn, like he's still a guy, you know, you don't want the ball in Kyrie's hands in the last couple seconds of a game. He can hit any shot. He can get anywhere on the court he wants to because of his dribble and he's a good free throw shooter. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a good pick. Um, I thought hard about putting him on my list because you're right. Um, as far as that performance um, against the Golden State Warriors, the 73-win Golden State Warriors at that, that is incredibly impressive. And uh, another thing to note, too, um, that you might not realize, in Game 6, he had 41 points. Yes, he did. No, no, yes, he did. I believe him and LeBron James, I think that was the first time two teammates combined for 40 in a, in a playoff game. Yes, they each, they each finished with 41. I mean, incredible. The reason why I did not put him on my list, my critique for him is, I feel like he could have and should have done more with the Boston Celtics. And I feel like that, to me, kind of decreased his clutchness to some degree because I felt like he dropped some series with the Celtics that he should have won. Um, Of course, he has an opportunity now with the Nets. We won't get too far into that tonight. But I think, you know, in the future... uh, if he has some more moments, he'll definitely uh, end up being on my list long term. But the uh, performance in Boston left a sour taste in my mouth. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And then kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to continue doing our list of the top 20 clutchest athletes of the past two decades. Kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, 
right back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Ben Karen with us, host of the Sports Grabber Podcast, as we are doing a 24-20, the top 20 clutchest athletes of the past 20 years. So, Ben, I'm going to let you start off again at number 14. Who do you have? Number 14, I have the claw, Kawhi Leonard. Two-time NBA champion, both with different franchises, and both times he was the MVP of the finals. Um, Obviously well-known as being, I believe he's the youngest NBA uh, finals MVP in history with with the Spurs. And he played some outstanding defense against LeBron James in the series. And then, more impressive to me, Daryl, is when he um, got traded to the Toronto Raptors. Although he did not want to be there, um, Toronto was kind of a joke of a franchise before he showed up there. And he just had an outstanding season with the with the Raptors, Daryl. Um, you want know, to talk about iconic shots? I mean, how about that iconic? Um, game seven, rim bouncing shot that sent the uh, Philadelphia 76ers home. I believe that was in the uh, Eastern Conference semifinals. And then he had an iconic dunk over Giannis in the Eastern Conference finals. They were down in that series 0-2, and I believe they came back and finished the Bucks in six. Uh, so I believe Kawhi Leonard is clutch, and I don't think he's done winning. I think we'll see probably more championships for him in the future. Thoughts? Now, I'm surprised you didn't mention the uh, the Toronto shot against Philly. That was the shot I mentioned, the uh, Game 7. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I misheard you. Okay, okay. No, yeah, Kawhi. I'm a little shocked you have Kawhi on there, Ben. Do you, are, are, is Kawhi back in your good graces as a Spurs fan? I think so. I mean, you know, yeah, show, show a guy some level of respect. I mean, he was with the Raptors all of one season, and there was an immense amount of pressure on him uh, to win a championship, and he delivered that franchise a championship and then left to do what he wanted to do. Uh, so it's hard to not respect that kind of a guy. Not to mention, he is a fun guy once you get to know him. Even though he has a creepy laugh. <laughs> okay. So for me, at number 14, I'm going to go with a guy that you know very well. A guy that you love, Ben, but a guy that maybe has disappointed you the last few months. First name Russell, last name Wilson. Super Bowl champion for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, when we talk about Clutch and we talk about Russ, right? Multiple game-winning drives. Uh, spectacular clutch moments. Remember that Green Bay-Seattle game on Monday night? The Golden Tate catch, Ben? I remember it. I mean, that was pretty clutch. If you also want to go back, and I know they didn't win this game, but I believe this might have been his rookie year or his second year. They're in it against it, playing against Atlanta uh, in the divisional round, I think. Or maybe it was the championship game, but a divisional round or championship game, Atlanta's up like 28-3, to and then Russ nearly brings them back, and they almost win. Uh, Russ is... I'm having a hard time remembering that. Say that again? I'm having a hard time remembering that, Daryl. I think it was his second... It was either his first year or his second year. Because they made the play... It was his second year, and it was the divisional round. Yeah, they, they, they came back. They came back. Atlanta was... Atlanta was... Because that was the year Atlanta lost... Then Atlanta lost to San Francisco. Atlanta then lost to San Francisco. 
So I am remembering that correctly. That was the second year. Uh, and, and Russ nearly brought them back. Russ has always been a guy that kind of Patrick Mahomes is like, your team can be up 15, 20 points, and you're still like, this isn't safe. This isn't safe. He's calm. He's cool under pressure. Even in 2014, uh, when they're playing against uh, the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, people forget this before that. I know you don't like probably when I bring this up, but the Marshawn Lynch debacle and the Malcolm Butler breaking on the ball, Russell almost nearly brought them back. He almost out Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Like, that almost happened. And, and then something... And that's something else that I want to say. I think I'm looking at the stat right now. From 2014 to like 2018, uh, Russell Wilson was by a PFF the second clutchest quarterback in the NFL to Tom Brady. He's a great all-time quarterback. Um, you know I love Russ, man. <laughs> uh, we're really lucky to have this quarterback in Seattle, uh, my team. I personally don't think he's done quite enough to be on the list, at least not yet. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see all the respect you're giving him. I, I love it. Um, I think he's always, though, he is a guy that's going to give your team a chance to win every every week, um, you know, even when he doesn't have the better team. I do want to mention, too, when we talk about that New England Super Bowl, a lot of people forget that play was not on Russ. That was on the wide receiver. Russell Wilson threw that ball, and it was it was a perfect throw. Uh, wide receiver was just not uh, not kind of aggressive enough at, um, at, at making that catch and kind of plucking that ball out of the air. My two cents on it for what it's worth. Spoken as a true Seahawks fan. Number 13 for me, um, a legendary NFL player, a guy that has invoked fear into offenses for over a decade, and that would be Ray Lewis of the Baltimore Ravens. And I think a lot of people just, they they forget how good Ray Lewis was uh, for all those years, Daryl. In 2000, when the the, uh, Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl, they were one of only two teams uh, to post a defensive shutout for the entire Super Bowl. Now, obviously, the Giants scored, but it wasn't against the Ravens' defense. Uh, and Ray Lewis, of course, a monster in that game. He won the MVP of that Super Bowl. And then in 2012, in the postseason, he led Baltimore back to the back to the Super Bowl. Baltimore had Joe Flacco as a quarterback, so you know it, it, they didn't get to the Super Bowl because of elite quarterback play. Um, and, you know, despite all the off-field things over the years with Ray Lewis, I know there was, like, some performance-enhancing drug um, accusations against him, a murder trial, other things like that. I mean, he just seemed to have an uncanny ability to block all that stuff out and play like a monster on the field. Uh, but I do think over the course of his career, because of the lack of good quarterbacks um, in Baltimore during his time there, he kind of had to carry the load, and I think there was an immense amount of pressure on him. That's a very interesting pick. I did not have Ray on, but no, that's a good pick, Ben. So for me, at number 13, I'm going to have another NFL guy, a guy that you probably know well, uh, a guy that is a teammate from a guy, a teammate of a guy that I'm sure will at least be in your top three, but we'll see about that. Uh... Julian Edelman. Uh, 
Super Bowl MVP, uh, three-time Super Bowl champion. He holds multiple records for postseason statistics in terms of catches, yards. I think I think yards after catch, all of that. Uh, a guy that Tom Brady, who I'm sure Ben will be in your top three, top five. Uh, that that guy went to in the clutch. That's who Brady was going to. He was going to Edelman, and Edelman always delivered. Also, by the way, and it doesn't need to be said, but he helped to revolutionize the slot wide receiver position. But uh, obviously, in the fourth quarter, they are always going to Julian. And they, on, on a lot of these teams, they had guys like Rob Gronkowski on these teams. But Julian Edelman was the go to guy for a very, very good football team that won a lot of football games and got a Super Bowl MVP and holds multiple postseason records. Yeah, an incredible player. I mean, that uh, that iconic catch in the Super Bowl in 2016 uh, is going to live in the minds of NFL fans probably indefinitely. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was um, showing on those videos in the Hall of Fame someday. Uh, it was that good. Um, I didn't put Edelman on my list. Again, I thought about it really hard. I would say he's probably an honorable mention, though, in a, in a, in a great selection. Um to um, a list of the most clutch players and athletes of all time. Number 12 for me, Daryl, is a guy that you have already mentioned, and that would be Big Poppy David Ortiz from the Boston Red Sox. As you have already previously said, it's a uh, three-time World Series champion, um, and he just um, he did some incredible stuff during his career. For me, as somebody who lives in the New England area where there are a lot of Boston Red Sox fans, I think the biggest thing that he ever accomplished was breaking the curse of the great Bambino. Uh, it's been uh, over 100 years, I think, since the Red Sox have won a World Series, and they were down 0-3 against uh, the rival New York Yankees in the a ALCS game. Um, and Big Poppy essentially single-handedly brought them back um, into that series and they did what no other team has ever been able to do and they came back from being down 0-3 to three in that series and won it um, and he played a critical part in that as I mentioned he had walk-off home runs Daryl in both games 4 and 5 of that series so both were elimination games and then also when you look at his three trips to the World Series in 2004, 2007 and 2014 <laughs> He posted the following batting averages, 0 .308, 0 .333, and .688. Just amazing numbers in big-time stages. Uh, David Ortiz, I probably could have ranked him even higher here, um, but I, I think he's he's an absolute legend. I mean, I you know he'll he'll for sure be in Cooperstown someday if he's not already. So for me, next up, at number 12, I'm going to go with uh, the Slim Reaper, a guy who actually was playing basketball tonight, Kevin freaking Durant. Ben Karen thinks he's the best basketball player in the world. I'm not quite ready to go there, but in terms of a guy that you don't want to see in the fourth quarter, Kevin Durant is that guy. I mean, he's seven foot one. I mean, he can dribble like a, like a, like a shooting guard, and he can... 
He's one of the top five shooters in the NBA. You can't really stop him. He has that high arc. He can shoot. He can drive to the hole, shoot the mid-range, shoot the three. Uh, he can shoot three throws. Uh, we saw in a clutch moment where LeBron James, who most people think is the best player in the NBA, at, particularly at that time, people still think he might be the best player in the NBA. Some people think he's the greatest player of all time. And he hits a jump shot, a three-point shot, right in that man's face and his house, game three in Cleveland. Uh, Kevin Durant, he's always been a guy that you're kind of worried about. Even I think in Oklahoma City, people were always happy when Russell Westbrook was taking shots in the fourth quarter. No one, no one wanted Kevin Durant to be taking those shots. Uh, so Kevin Durant, for me, is at number 12. Extremely clutch. Extremely clutch and extremely lethal in the big moments. Uh, you, know, you know how highly I think of KD, Daryl. Um, I, I don't need to gush over him too much here. Um, he, in my opinion, is the best player in the world right now, as you mentioned. Uh, and I'll tell you this, you don't want to see him in quarters one, two, or three either. <laughs> you just don't want to see that man, period. And I think uh, when we talk about that shot that you alluded to against LeBron James, in my opinion, and I know also a lot of other folks share this opinion, that to me was the passing of the torch. I was at a Dairy Queen watching the end of the game with, with my now wife, and um I'll never forget that shot, man. As soon as I saw that shot, man, as soon as I saw him steal up a uh, 3-0 lead on Cleveland, I said, LeBron's not the best player in the world anymore. This guy has just eclipsed him. For me at number 11, I have what I believe may be uh, one of the most dominant athletes to ever walk the face of the earth, and that would be Serena Williams. Um legendary tennis player career's kind of winding down now um but uh daryl i mean she's just done things in women's tennis that nobody's ever ever done before we're talking a total of 39 grand slam titles and out of those 39 23 of them are single player grand slam titles um high pressure kind of moments uh you're competing against the best in the world and you're you're out there alone competing against them and, and she wins about two-thirds of the finals that she's in, uh, an Olympic gold medalist multiple years, and her winning percentage is just out of this world at 85-plus percent. That's a good... She doesn't have, like, an iconic moment, but the dominance is just so incredible. You know, she's just been in so many high-pressure moments. Yeah, no, Serena is fantastic. Uh, so for me at number 11, I'm going to go with a guy that uh, this might be the biggest shock to people or, or the guy that's probably not the biggest name out of everybody on here, but I thought it was important to have him on the list. So for me at number 11, I'm going to go with Madison Bumgarner. Uh, one of the most clutch, and I don't think people realize this, one of the most historically clutch postseason pitchers, postseason starters that we've seen in recent history. I mean, three-time uh, World Series champion 2010, 2011, and 2014 also. Uh, lowest World Series ERA at 0 0.25, which if you know how long baseball's been played, that's like unimaginable. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that, that's insane. Uh, always a guy that when he's on the mound, you know, you're worried about him. I mean, obviously... You know, there's other pitchers, right? You look at the Mariano Rivera's, other guys who are closers, but just in terms of being a starting pitcher that you're going to go with, that you can say, hey, we're going to pitch you in on the mound through one, and we'll let you go till eight, right? Uh, 
and we're going to expect you to get a bunch of outs uh, and keep us in the game. And, you know, he's that guy, particularly in the biggest of moments. Uh, kind of like, I guess, the way to explain, like, the Clayton Kershaw of the postseason, right? Because Clayton Kershaw always hasn't been able to kind of have his spectacularly regular season performances uh, in the postseason. But that's what Madison Bumgarner is. Yeah. Uh, Madison Bumgarner is fantastic. I have him quite a bit higher on my list personally. Um, but he can also hit the ball, Daryl. I mean, he can flat out hit, you know. I mean, most of these pitchers, they're, they're not even a threat to hit the ball. But, but Mad Bum, he can hit the ball. So what we're going to do is we're going to take another break, and then kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to get into our Pantheon, the top 10, coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Ben Karen with us, host of the Sports Gawler Podcast, as we're doing our 20 for 20 for the top 20 clutchest athletes of the past two decades. We're entering our pantheon, so I'll start it off at number 10. I'm going to go with a guy who, I will say, had a very unclutch moment the last postseason game he he played in, uh, but that does not take away, because I know Ben likes to take away from people's clutchness because they have some bad moments, but he's, this guy's had multiple good moments. Big Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, over the duration of his career, I'd say he's been one of the clutchest quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, he's always been a guy that you're worried about in the last second of a game. A guy that can shrug off defensive linemen, throw the game-winning touchdown pass. If people remember, Ben, you're out in Arizona. What, what did he do to the Cardinals in 2009? Santonio Holmes, tone time. Yes. Game-winning touchdown drive. Big Ben style. Multiple fourth quarter comebacks. A guy you're always worried about in the postseason. Three Super Bowl appearances. Two Super Bowl champions, championships. He also did it against your Seattle Seahawks, but that's a story for another day. Really, the only time he hasn't been clutch is when he's had to play against Tom Brady in the postseason. And Tom Brady nullifies a lot of guys. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and Foxborough, that will do a lot of men in. But Ben Roethlisberger, besides that, he's been as clutch as they come. Well, I seem to remember him not being too clutch against the Jacksonville Jaguars a couple of years ago. Everybody can have a bad day. <laughs> no, I think Roethlisberger is a respectable pick. Um, the folks out here in Arizona uh, do not like him. They remember we don't get Super Bowl opportunities every year like some uh, geographic locations do. Um, so when we get them, it really stings when they're taken away from us in the last minute of the game by guys like Ben Roethlisberger. Um, but he's very clutch in that series. Interestingly, um, my number 10 is a guy who is in the same draft class as Ben Roethlisberger, and that would be Eli Manning. Eli Manning, known most of the time for having pedestrian regular seasons, um, had remarkably two almost Super Bowl um, miracle um, runs. Um, both Super Bowl victories involved late fourth quarter comebacks for the Giants to win. Of course, in 2008, he had that 
Um, amazing pass to David Tyree, the helmet catch. Uh, Eli Manning was one half of the helmet catch. And people also forget, especially in that 2008 playoff run, the Giants went on the road, Daryl. They went to Dallas. They went to um, Lambeau Field. They had to do some things. In fact, both times Eli Manning went to the Super Bowl, the NFC Championship games ended um, with overtime wins for the New York Giants. So when you sum it all up, Eli Manning beat, in my opinion, in 2008, one of the best New England Patriots teams of all time. Um, probably the best team to never win a championship with Brady and Moss. And then he beat them again. So people that said, oh, it's a fluke, the Giants would never be able to do it again, they did it again, Daryl. Um, so when you beat the GOAT twice um, in the Super Bowl, you end up in the top ten on my list of most clutch players. You know, Ben... I'll get that, you know, obviously I have Eli on my list because I can't have Ben Roethlisberger on the list and not Eli. So, like I told you with LeBron and KD and Kawhi, so obviously Eli's going to be on my list. But uh, I, I agree with uh, everything you said, Eli. I mean, obviously spectacular moments. Uh, so, for me at number nine, I'm going to go with a guy that helped start a Patriots dynasty, Adam Vinatieri. Now, I know he's a kicker, but Ben... Game-winning kick. Who who was the person who actually sealed the deal in two thousand in two thousand one? It was not Brady. It was Vinatieri. People forget about that. People keep talking about the Brady game-winning drives, but it ended with an Adam Vinatieri kick. Uh, one of the clutchest kickers, maybe the clutchest kicker ever. I think he is. Uh, a guy with ice water through his veins. We know how haywire kickers can go. Uh, you get to a time, you, you get to a point of the game where the offense they drive the ball down the field, and then you have to go off the field and put it in the hands of the kicker. And we've seen a lot of times, Ben, where the kicker hasn't delivered and they've been the butt of every joke. Think of Scott Norwood against the, in the Buffalo Bills. People in Buffalo still haven't forgotten about that, Ben. <laughs> if we had Adam Vinatieri, we'd have a Super Bowl championship. That is a great pick. I actually have Adam a little bit higher on my list, so you'll be hearing more about him from me in a little bit. But I agree with you. I think he deserves to be in the top ten. But Adam special, uh, and he just recently retired, I believe. So, but great career, and uh, will be and should be a Hall of Famer, and should find himself in Canton. Oh, absolutely! I don't think there's a doubt in anybody's mind. Um, this next guy, I have at number nine. Uh, he's going to find himself in the Hall of Fame if he's not already there. Uh, he'll be in Cooperstown, and that would be Derek Jeter, aka Captain Clutch. Daryl, when we talk about Derek Jeter. We talk about a five-time World Series champion, and we talk about a guy that holds multiple postseason records. He has a .309 postseason batting average. He holds the all-time records for most hits at 200 and most runs scored at 111. Um, he also is in the top uh, 10 for postseason home runs as well as postseason stolen bases. So this list could not and would not be complete without mentioning the captain, Derek Jeter. And we know he plays in New York City, high pressure, storied franchise, and he is delivered. That is that is a great pick. I, I think Derek Jeter, I'm just going to say Derek Jeter is much, much higher. I think I have him a little bit in a 
echelon above even which you think he has been. But no, Derek Jeter is great, and I'll gush about him a little bit more. But before we get to that, uh, at number seven for me, the other New York athlete, Eli Manning. Uh, Mr. No Personality, Mr. You know, you look at his face and it's like it's, it looks the same as the fourth quarter. His emotions never change. Uh, wasn't the quarterback Peyton was, but, you know, in the fourth quarter, you know, he kind of was a little bit better than Peyton in a lot of regards. A two-time Super Bowl champion, obviously the New England stuff. But even uh, people forget about this in uh, 2011, that year. Uh, I think Eli Manning led the uh, NFL in fourth quarter comebacks. The year they ended up beating New England. He was always a guy that was calm under pressure. It wasn't necessarily just a postseason thing. He was always that way. Uh, Even if you go in 2007, they go to Lambeau Field when Brett Favre is standing across that field and they win 23-20 in the frozen tundra. Even if you go back to 2011 in the postseason, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers, defending Super Bowl champions, they go into Lambeau and that Packers team was 15-1 and and they beat them. Eli was always... Always a guy that under high-pressure situations knew what he was doing. Really kind of Brady-esque. And even if you go back to the, uh, people are going to remember this, the David Tyree catch. Uh, You know, he's running around and he throws it. And it it was crazy. And it it was crazy. It absolutely was. And then the ability to drive his team down the field, throws a touchdown pass to Plexico Burris uh, to win the game which is something that a lot of quarterbacks would falter. They couldn't do that. They couldn't drive the length of the field against Bill Belichick's defense to win a Super Bowl when Tom Brady just threw it to Randy Moss and was like, okay, can you one-up the GOAT? And he did it. And then he did it again in 2011 with the Mario Manningham catch. And then Brady, with the same opportunity to do the same thing, he didn't do it with Wes Welker. Now you can debate whether Wes Welker dropped it or whatever, but Eli did the deal and he finished it. So Eli Manning at number seven is clutch and as tough in the fourth quarter as they come. Excuse me, eight, not not seven, and number eight, number eight. Great player deserves to be on the list. Um, number eight for me uh, would be um, one of the best golfers of all time, uh, and that would be Tiger Woods. Obviously, he faced his numerous high-pressure situations, was dominant in the sport of golf for probably fifteen years. Uh, one. 15 major championships in that in that time, including all four of the big majors. Um, and then, you know, he his life kind of fell apart, Daryl. And, you know, he made some mistakes. His life fell apart. Uh, and a lot of people were saying, oh, he's, you know, he's, he'll never be the same again. And in a way, they were right. But, um, you know, but, oh, he'll never win a major again. And, and then he just, he had this iconic moment in 2019 at the Masters. After 11 years, he finally won his 15th major. And I think he proved a lot of people wrong. And it was, it was just an incredible moment for the sport of golf and for Tiger Woods. Um, extreme amount of pressure, I think, to win that when he was in the lead late and he closed the deal. Um, and I think just the story in general, you know, a lot of people can relate to that. Well, you know, we're not perfect as people. And he made some really big mistakes. And you know, he's still able to redeem some of them uh, and capture that major championship even 11 years, um, you know, uh, since his last one. So I got a little overzealous. I said number seven when it was really Eli. I was my number eight. So here's my real number seven. And I know Ben's probably going to disagree with this, which, Ben, this kills me. But I'm going to go with the king, 
LeBron freaking James. Put some respect on this man's name. Now, first of all, I could have easily had LeBron in my top five, but I didn't. Because, you know, there's obviously some gaffes in his clutch resume. But let's start with this. 2007. They're up against the Detroit Pistons. Shanti Billups, Rip Hamilton, Rasheed Wallace, Ben Wallace, Tayshaun Prince. And the Cleveland Cavaliers had nobody on that team. He scores 25 straight points. And they can't stop him. And that was the same Detroit Pistons team that took out Kobe and Shaq, by the way. The same Detroit Pistons team that took your Spurs to seven games. That was a legit team. People forget how good those Pistons teams were. Then if you go back to the next, and they ended up getting to the finals. And they lose the Spurs. Uh, then they in 2008, they're up against the big three Boston Celtics. He's going back and forth with Paul Pierce in a 43-point to 45-point showdown in the Boston TD Garden. And they don't end up getting the done, but he performs amazing. Then you go to 2009, where he hits the shot around the world against the Orlando Magic to tie the series 1-1. Okay, we all know what happened in 2011. Then we go to 2012. They are down 3-2 against the Boston Celtics. Paul Pierce, I believe, hit a shot at LeBron James' face. Uh, and they end up winning in Miami. Game six in Boston with so much pressure. There has never been more pressure, I would argue, on anybody's career in sports than that moment, Ben. Than that moment. Because I'll tell you, if they lose, I don't know what happens to LeBron. I don't know if LeBron can ever recover. And this is coming right after the Dallas debacle. What does he do? He drops like 46 points, like 12 rebounds, and has five assists. And he wills the back end. They go back to Miami. Then they finish the deal. Then they go up and then they beat Kevin Durant. They beat Russell Westbrook. They beat James Harden. Then you go to 2013. Now, obviously, people are going to remember the Ray Allen shot. And that was a big shot. But let's remember who was the best player on that court in Game 7. On a Game 7 where Kawhi Leonard's on the floor, Tony Parker's on the floor, Mono Ginobili's on the floor, Tim Duncan's on the floor, and LeBron James was the best player on that court. On an elimination game. And when they needed him to deliver and be the MVP, which he was that year, he did that. He did that. Now I want to go to 2015. They lose Kevin Love. He hits the shot against the Chicago Bulls. They end up getting to the finals without their third best player. Then Kyrie gets hurt. And all he does is take the Golden State Warriors to six games when Matthew Delvadova becomes the second best player. And then you go to 2016, where they're down 3-1. Him and Kyrie play out of their minds. They beat the Golden State Warriors. The first time, two teammates drop 40 together in a single game. Then also, and I'll tell you this too, like I said, I mentioned this with Kyrie. They went on Game 7 on the road. There's not a lot of teams that win Game 7s on the road. Needless to say, teams that win Game 7 on the road in a final situation. And he did that. And he also has the iconic block. Which is one of the most iconic uh, NBA moments, uh, NBA playoff moments, I think, in the history of the game. Bring, brings Cleveland their first ever sports championship in over like 100 years or something crazy like that. Then you go to 2017. Obviously not the most clutch to Durant shot, right? Then you go to 2018. And we can talk about the East was weak or whatever, but that postseason, he averaged 34 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, and I believe he shot 50% from the field. Now, the East wasn't great, but neither was that Cleveland Cavaliers team. That Cleveland Cavaliers team was not good. He also had a game-winning shot against the Raptors that postseason. Uh, whenever that team needed LeBron, LeBron had to play perfect for that team to win because that Cavaliers team was not good. And also, he dropped in Game 1 of the Finals against the Golden State Warriors, against Klay Thompson, 
Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Andre Kadakla. He dropped 51 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, shot 50% from the field, and would have stole game one if J.R. Smith didn't have a brain fart because he smokes too much weed. And then you go to 2019, obviously he's hurt for L.A. Then you go to 2020, this past year in the bubble, where all he does is dominate. Where all he does is dominate. So when you look at that, I just gave you a span of over a decade where this man has been clutch. And yes, were there bad moments? Yes, there were bad moments. But there were a lot of good as well. Oh, man. I, I couldn't disagree with you on this one more. I, would, I wouldn't even have him in my top thousand players <laughs> in the last 20 years. Would you have him ahead of playoff P? No, I wouldn't. Oh, God, Ben. <laughs> I mean, you, you look at it, Daryl, and my, I, I just, we're looking at the same thing here, but we're just seeing something completely different. And I think it's kind of like, um, you know, it's just up for so much interpretation. But uh, we're talking about a guy that's been uh, swept in the NBA Finals multiple times. We're talking a guy that's had Ray Allen, Kyrie Irving, bail him out. Uh, we're talking about a guy that's always needs super teams in order to win. Uh, we're talking about a lot of these things that I don't think are really that clutch. I mean, that, that series against Dallas is, is the biggest meltdown I think I've ever seen in sports period. I mean that that was just that was painful to even watch as a sports fan. Um, it, just, I just I don't know man. I mean yeah he's had a couple big moments, you know, but even that shot against Orlando you were talking about, they lost that series. Um, there wouldn't they would have lost two times to San Antonio if it had not been for Ray Allen. Kevin Durant showed up in his house hit a game-winning shot in his face. Um, I don't know. I, I do not think LeBron is is uh, nearly as clutch as you do. I think he spent a lot of time out in the East where things are really weak. Uh, you know, and th- this year, for instance, is a little flavor of what you're going to see, possibly, if LeBron stays in the West. You know, getting bounced in the first round by the Suns. They won a championship this last year. I think yeah, the circumstances were basically perfect for them to do that. Um, the pandemic uh, created a situation where him and Anthony Davis were both uh, very injury prone and had a, had a really nice chance to rest. Um, and I do think his leadership in the bubble um, kind of propelled them to a victory, but I don't think they played a very good Miami team in the finals. They could have played the Clippers, but, but we saw what your guy did, Kawhi. Kawhi melted down. Kawhi had no help. I, I think there's been... And there's also what I'll say about LeBron. Post uh, the, that Dallas debacle, he is he he has almost never played bad in a postseason series. He's almost never played bad. Like, regardless of whether his team won or lost, he's never played bad. That is the last time in 2011 that he legitimately had a bad series. And I would say he legitimately let his team down. And they lost because of him. Besides that, I think they went ran into situations where he was good, the other guy was just better. Or the other team was just... I don't think he played a particularly good series against the Suns. I mean, I'm watching it. Okay, I'll give you the Suns. I'll give you that. The the Suns. So I'll give you two. I'll give you two. I mean, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Chris Paul and Devin Booker and those guys. They played outstanding. But um, when people are saying you might be the best player in the world, you got to show up more than you showed up in that series. But anyways, you know, we can agree to disagree. That's part of the fun. I wouldn't have him on my top thousand. Um, but 
but you have him at number seven. Number seven for me is going to be Adam Vinatieri. That's a guy we can agree on. Um, I think he's the most clutch uh, field goal kicker of all time. At least in my lifetime, I'd say he's the most clutch. Um, he is uh, one of the only players to ever kind of play that critical role in kicking two back-to-back field goals to help a, a team win back-to-back championships. Uh, so just really important. He's a four-time Super Bowl champion, too. He won with uh, the Colts as well as the Patriots. Um, 81% field goal percentage in the playoffs, so pretty good because we know, especially in the playoffs, you might be getting asked to kick some pretty challenging field goals and, and you know, be in some really high-pressure moments. Now, in Benetieri's case, and a lot of people forget this, but my guy, John Gruden, the Oakland Raiders had them on the ropes at the start of the dynasty. There almost was no New England Patriot dynasty because the Raiders almost beat them in Foxborough in the snow, and it took a heroic effort from Adam Finisherry to kick a field goal in the snow in order to even beat the Patriots and pave the way for them to get to that first Super Bowl um, that started the dynasty. So I think Adam Finisherry has just kicked in multiple high-pressure situations. And I think when, when we're talking about field goal kickers specifically, we're not talking about your typical player. I mean, field goal kickers are only in there for those high-pressure moments, and that's about it. And, and he just, he's come through literally every time. There's never a time where I've seen Adam Benetieri fold um, under pressure. No, I, I agree with you. Adam, That that's a great pick. Uh, we can't agree on LeBron, but we can for sure agree on Adam Vinatieri. So for me at number six, uh, God rest the dead. Kobe, Bean, Bryant had him one spot ahead of LeBron James. Uh, well, what can you say about Kobe? I mean, five-time uh, world champion. Uh, a guy in 2000, you go you go back to even the willing, being willing to take the big shot. Uh, something he did, I mean, obviously there's the air balls in Utah, but the fact that as an 18-year-old rookie, he's willing to take the, the, the big shot with Shaquille O'Neal on his team against John Stockton and Carl Malone in the postseason. Like, he's willing to do that. Then you go to 2000, Shaq fouls out, I believe it was in game, it might have been game six, the closeout game, I believe. Uh, has an amazing overtime, amazing fourth quarter, uh, gets the Lakers to win, obviously. Multiple big time moments where he continues to come up clutch, where he's averaged 30 in, in different postseasons. Uh, you go to game seven against the Boston Celtics in 2010, where his shot's not falling, but what does he do? He has like 18 rebounds and controls the boards. A guy who did whatever needed to be done to win. Even you go at 07 when the Lakers weren't very good and they're playing the Phoenix Suns, he's dropping 40 and he's giving Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni all they can handle. And uh, obviously, you know, part of the reason they lost is kind of, you know, his own ignorance or arrogance, whatever you want to say, when he's kind of pissed that everybody says he keeps shooting. So he says, you know what? How about I don't shoot? And then you guys will see what happens when I don't shoot. And he didn't shoot, and then they lost. But uh, him in a postseason series, you were always worried about Kobe being Bryant in a postseason series. Always. And also, he went to seven finals as well, which is uh, something that not a lot of guys can say. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember in game... I believe it was game five against the Phoenix Suns in 2010, the stare down at the coach before he hit the, uh, the game winning three, uh, iconic moment right there. Uh, so yeah, Kobe is uh, definitely worthy of being on the list. Um, number six for me, um, is Michael Phelps. Um, 
multi-time Olympic gold medalist in the sport of swimming. And I think a lot of people, Daryl, uh, they forgive Michael Phelps. I mean, he's really, he's not even that old now. He's just a few years older than me. So um, right from a really young age, I think, you know, even as a teenager, he is participating in the Olympics. And I think that's just it kind of adds to the impressiveness of what he's been able to accomplish. Um, you also throw in um, the accusations that were never proven about performance-enhancing drugs and the mental health um, challenges that he's faced. And when you look at all those things that he's had to overcome, I mean, I think what he's accomplished is incredible. Um, the man holds 23 total Olympic gold medals, which is the most in history. And he also managed to earn a gold medal in 13 different events, which broke a record that had stood before that uh, for over 2,000 years. That's a great pick. I didn't have not have Michael Phelps on the list, but uh, that's a fantastic pick by you. So what we're going to do is we're going to take another break and then cut him next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to get to our top five. Will Matthew Stafford make the cut? Cut him next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Ben Karen with us. And now it's time. The true pantheon. The top five clutches athletes of the last two decades. Will Tom Brady make the cut? I don't think Ben would ever forgive me if he wasn't in the top five. Ben, would you? I would forgive you. Uh, okay. Forgive me more than if I had J.R. Smith in the top five? <laughs> <laughs> He'd be in the. Could he be in the top five of most unclutch athletes? He could be. <laughs> yes, no, that's funny. Okay, so for me at number five, uh, I'm going to go with one of, obviously a guy who revolutionized the certain position, Mariano Rivera, the closer. You know when people when they refer to you, they call you the closer. You know you're clutch. <laughs> First of all. That is literally what he was referred to throughout his career. Won five World Series with the Yankees. Uh, always a guy. When he was in the ninth inning, done, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. Uh, they had the ultimate trust in Mariano. It was always when you get to the ninth and Mariano's on that mound, you know it's over. You know it's going to be three, three quick strikeouts and we're going home. That was what you knew, Ben. That was what you knew. And that's what they counted on. As good as those core four Yankees were in the early 2000s, you had Andy Pettit, you had Jorge Posada, you had Derek Jeter. You know, it, it was. I think it was Mariano, maybe the most of all of them, who put the most fear in him. Because you knew in the ninth what was going to happen. And it happened every single time. It was like clockwork. Uh, he also has the lowest uh, ERA of any uh, closer ever uh, at 0.70. Uh, multiple moments, uh, like I said, even in the ninth, eighth, they put him in at the eighth sometimes. They say, "Hey, get us two. and he would do it. Uh, but for me, Mariano, number five, uh, fantastic career, just the 
one of the optimum guys at clutch. I mean, when you talk about high-pressure circumstances, that's what the closer is in baseball. You're supposed to bring the game home, and he did that all the time. Yeah, I, I think he's a fantastic pick, Daryl. I mean, absolutely fantastic. I think he embodies um, the word clutch, uh, so he definitely deserves to be on this list. Um, number five for me is another person that I think kind of embodies that word of clutch, and that would be Hope Solo. Um, the well-known goalkeeper for the Women's World World Cup soccer team. Um, she's a, an Olympic champion, a FIFA World Cup champion. Uh, she won the Golden Glove Award in the 2011 FIFA World Cup for best goalkeeper. Um, she holds the record among U.S. goalkeepers, Daryl, for 102 shutouts, which is an incredible record. And she also holds the record uh, within the FIFA World Cup uh, that she accomplished in 2015 with 540 total minutes um, of shutout, um, which is the longest streak in tournament history. Uh, I think there's just an immense amount of pressure when you're playing on an international stage and you're the goalkeeper. And uh, Hope Solo uh, takes on that challenge regularly uh, and has been a dominant player for the last 10 to 15 years. So for me, at number four, uh, I'm going to go with another Yankee who made a name for himself, a guy you already mentioned in the early 2000s. It was really tough to when I was deciding this, right? Am I going to go with Mariano or am I going to go with Jeter? Uh, I don't know if there's necessarily a right or wrong answer because I think both of those guys, if you're talking to people, and Ben, you know this because you're older than me. If you're talking about the early 2000s, like, those are two dudes that, like, emphasize clutch. <laughs> like, and, and two guys that were part of, you know, I, I mean, you can make an argument with those Yankees teams. But those are one of the greatest dynasties, if we, you know, if we're talking about dynasties. The, 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 those are two of the most, you know, they were part of probably one of the best dynasties ever. And I would say they, they have an argument for themselves. Up there, if you want to mention teams like the Warriors, right? Jordan's Bulls. If you want to talk about Patriots, you know, renditions. Like, those early 2000 Yankees. I think they won their first one in, like, 98 or whatever. But from that span to, like, 2003 or whatever, when they got, like, four. Like, they were absolutely dynamic. So, for me, at number four, I'm going to go with Derek Jeter. Number two, El Capitan, Captain Clutch. Uh, A guy that in the biggest moments, you never want to see Derek Jeter at the plate. Uh, was the shortstop. He would always make clutch saves. You always knew that he was going to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, very unsimilarly to a guy that we were just joking about, J.R. Smith. And part of the reason why J.R. is not clutch because he's a guy that you're like, what is he going to do? Is he going to be a chicken with his head cut off? Derek Jeter was never that. He was a guy that you knew was going to be calm and cool under pressure, which I think is probably one of the most important things when we look at being clutch. And we talk about pressure in general because I think a lot of times people think too much. And, and, you know, people crack. And then we're talking about he's in New York City, the Bronx, right? And where there's so much media, there's so much spotlight, the Yankees. I mean, that, that that's like the, the gold standard for a sports franchise. And he's doing all this playing the most one of the most important positions in shortstop, and he continually gets the job done. I think he has the most uh, hits. I think he's close to having the most hits in postseason history. Obviously, you mentioned the batting percentage. Uh, just fantastic. Fantastic in the clutch. Uh, just the instincts. Like, like, just, you know, you never worried about Derek Jeter making the wrong play on defense. You never worried about that. 
you never worried about, okay, uh, is he going to have a really bad, bad game when he's batting? Is he really going to have a bad game? Like, we need Derek to come through. Is he not going to come through? You never worried about that. And even if you go in 2009 when they won, Derek, Alex Rodriguez played fantastic. I believe he, he got MVP of the series. But, but you want to know what? Everybody still knew what Derek Jeter represented. Then just the leadership. Like when I mentioned with Tim Tebow, there are some guys who, when they talk to you about winning, like we can do this, you're like, okay. Like if JR says we can do this, if Paul George says we can do this, you're like, can we really? When Derek Jeter says we can do this, you're like, hell yeah, we can do this. So Derek Jeter for me at number four. Uh, yeah, I want to add on to, um, I think the last um, at bat of his entire career, I think was a walk-off RBI, if I remember correctly. Doesn't shock me. Not one bit. Yeah. Um, number four for me, um, is a guy that you've already mentioned, and that'd be Madison Bumgarner, three-time World Series champion, um, a huge component of that early 2010, um, dynasty that the San Francisco Giants had, um, came in in 2012, um, and he actually, um, well, actually, no, he came in 2010. Um, I believe that was his rookie year, and he was pitching in the World Series and helped bring that home for them. In 2012, he comes back, and on his two outings in the World Series, um, he held teams scoreless. Uh, so it was a big part of that World Series win. And then, of course, uh, the creme de la creme was in 2014 for him. Game 7, um, who did they call in off two days of rest? Um, to pitch them through to the very end in the last five innings. Madison Bumgarner is who they called, and he got the job done. He held, I believe it was the Kansas City Royals scoreless uh, late, and he helped the Giants capture a third World Series in five years. And just to me, when I see how much the team relied on him, how much pressure was on him, Daryl, um, especially in that Game 7 situation, got to show the man respect and have him on this list. And as I've alluded to earlier, he also was somewhat of a threat as far as hitting the baseball, too. More more of a threat, at least, than other pitchers. Yeah, Bumgarner, you know, fantastic. Like I said, uh, Clayton Kershaw of the postseason. <laughs> Clayton Kershaw of the postseason. Uh, dominant. Uh, another guy, when he's on the mound, you're worried. You're just sweating. You're like, okay, crap, how are we going to get this done? The manager's like, crap, you know, what's Madison Bumgarner? Like, this dude's for real. Like, there are levels to it, Ben. There are levels to it. So, for me, at number three, I'm going to go with a guy who was just competing uh, last weekend, Floyd Money Mayweather. Uh, the guy who can never be hit, who can never be hurt, 50-0. and 0. I think what makes him clutch, too, is the fact that, you know, he was never a guy who was knocking out. He was always in these close matches. He's always in these close fights, and people can never get a clean hit on him. He always found a way to get away, no matter what, whether it was against Pacquiao, Oscar, Oscar uh, De La Hoya, even the Conor McGregor fight, right? Uh, uh, Cotto, he, he fought so many people over his career, and nobody could ever get that hit on him. Nobody could ever finish him, and all his rounds were, were going to the final bout. They were all going to the final round, and nobody ever did it. You know, fights Jake Paul. Even Jake Paul can't do it, and Jake Paul's 30 pounds heavier than him, and Jake Paul can't touch the man. So Floyd Mayweather for me at number three, Money Mayweather. Yeah, it's a great pick. I didn't have him on my list, but I 
I would consider him now that the name's popped up. Um, for sure. Undefeated boxing career. Very impressive. Um, number three, guy you've already mentioned, in my opinion, I think maybe, uh, you know, at, at least in the last 20 years, in my opinion, I think he's the the most notorious, most famous New York Yankee, and that'd be Mariano Rivera. Um, like you said, Daryl, when this man comes on the mound in the ninth, it's over. And, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a guarantee. I mean, this guy is the closer. Um, he recorded at least 25 saves, Daryl, in 15 consecutive seasons. That's an incredible statistic. Also an all-time leader in regular season saves at 652. He owns the postseason record for saves. He has 42. And he also pitched um, consecutively 33 and a third innings um, scoreless. Five-time... Um, MLB champion, World Series champ. Uh, Mariano Rivera, a lot of respect. I don't think there's many athletes in the world ever that embody um, clutch more than Mariano Rivera. And you want to know what, Ben? I'll be honest with you. I, I wouldn't have an issue if you had Mariano number one. I think there is a case. Absolutely. I, I think there is a case because when you win, and also I think it's tough too because it's the closer. It's not necessarily right like a starting pitcher where you're playing all these innings. But when you're talking about like, like that is the embodiment of clutch. Like that is like when you're the closer, Ben. Like that is literally your job. <laughs> it's to finish out the game. <laughs> That's quite literally what you're there for. And even sometimes, like I said, they put him in in the eighth, and they say, "Hey, Mariano, we need you. We need you two innings." Like, Mariano, absolutely fantastic, Ben. I mean, you, you can't say enough. Obviously, you know, living in New York, uh, a lot of people have a lot of respect for Mariano. Uh, a, a lot of respect. And uh, you can make an argument he was the engine of those of those dynasties. And people forget how great those Yankees teams were and, and what they really meant in the history of baseball. So, for me, at number two, I'm going to go with Eldrick Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer of all time. He has 15 majors. Uh a guy that, when we talk about pressure, right? You, you mentioned LeBron had pressure on him. I think we were talking about this off air, right? You mentioned LeBron had pressure on him. Michael Phelps, the guy that had a lot of pressure on him. Tiger Woods, has anybody ever had more pressure, has more demons, and then had to come through? Like, has anybody ever had a bigger fall from grace and having the ability to pick yourself up from the ground, the ashes of death, like, and just come back and then have an ascension? And then even if you talk about, you know, right, with the car accident that happened or whatever, if he comes back and he's still able to be productive, like, we're talking about crazy things that you don't necessarily see in people's athletic journeys. Even when Michael Jordan retired, Michael Jordan kind of retired and, right, he left the game, obviously, like his father passed away and he just wanted to clear his head a little bit, right, and he was doing his own thing. Like, when Tiger Woods kind of went off his game, we're like, what happened to you, Tiger, like, you know, like the marital problems, he kind of got exposed, his body's breaking down, people are like, can he do this? It took almost a decade, 10 years, and he stayed at it. Then he wins the Masters, right? And even then you just look at, but before that, right, from like 2000, 2000, then he was dominating. He was dominating. Everybody was scared of Tiger. Everybody was scared of Tiger. Everybody knew when Tiger came and what time it was. So Tiger Woods for me at number two. Number two for me, I have seven-time Super Bowl champion, the GOAT, Tom Brady. 
And not a whole lot else to say about him, Daryl, except he has the seven Super Bowl rings. Um, in six of those Super Bowls, he had to come from behind in the fourth quarter. He's had numerous other big moments uh, in in the playoffs. There was that um, game a few years back, ASC Championship against the Jaguars, where he had to come from behind in the fourth quarter uh, to even get to the Super Bowl. And I think he had like a cut-up hand or something like that. Um, and it was all bandaged up, and he played through that. Uh, Tom Brady is just an, an incredible football player, Daryl. One year, no no preseason um, down in Tampa Bay last year. Comes right in, figures it out in time for the playoffs. And as you recall, I told you essentially about the NFC Championship game. I said... There's one guy that can go to Lambeau Field and beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, and unfortunately for Aaron Rodgers, that's the guy he has to face. That is Tom Brady. That was my level of confidence in him. Then we were talking about him. You're like, well, you can't beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And I, I kind of laughed about that. I said, no, he can beat those guys. He's the GOAT. And he did. He beat them. Um, I, I think Tom Brady has just had so many high-pressure moments career and he's just come through time after time after time so for me at number one obviously this is going to go segue right into what you were just saying Tom Brady is my number one I'm a little shocked he's not your number one but uh Tom Brady was my one um uh the most clutchest athlete that I've ever in my 22 years of life on this earth that I've ever gotten to witness I never really watched Michael Jordan in his prime like prime Michael Jordan but there's obviously an argument for him, right? I just mentioned I, I wouldn't necessarily have an issue if you put Mariano on there, right? I wouldn't argue that, uh, you know, right? There's some other names, but Tom Brady for me is number one. I'm, I mean, you go through the last second drives and the early 2000 Patriots, even you go to 2007, right, when they lose to Eli. He did his job. He drove his team down the field against that Giants pass rush with Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck, OCU Menorah, who were hitting him over and over and over again. Eli Manning just had the ball last. Uh, you go through 2014. They lead the comeback against the Seattle Seahawks. Then you go to 2016, which sealed the deal for me that he was the GOAT. And I'm like, what am I seeing? Is he even human? 28, was it 28 to 3? Like going into third, at one point in the third quarter? It at, was. It was 28 to 3. Yes, 28 to 3. Atlanta, quick, fast, physical, pounding on them. I thought this was going to be a Denver Broncos-Seattle Seahawks game from the, a couple years ago on the Super Bowl. And you know what Tom Brady said? To the hell it's not. To the hell it's not. And he brought them back, took them into overtime. Then they get the ball. And then he drives them down the field and they win. And then, then you go back to, and then you mentioned this, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're down by 10 points or whatever in the fourth quarter. Comes back against that Saxonville defense with A.J. Boye, Jalen Ramsey, the pass rush with Calais Campbell, Giannis Ndokwe. And he does it again. It's like he's Houdini. It's like he's Houdini. Then, then, you, then you go in. He's like, Tom Brady's like Jason. He just won't die, <laughs> basically. He's just like Jason. He's won't, he won't die. He's calm under pressure. He's cool. He's collected. He's never phased. No matter how many times you hit him, he keeps coming up again and again and again. And he's like, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep doing this. And then like I told you, and I used this analogy before, right? Some dudes, when they tell you we can win, you don't always believe them. When Tom Brady tells you we can win, you believe him. He makes people believe. 
I guarantee you going into that Super Bowl, there was not a single man on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster who did not think they could beat Kansas City. Because when you see number 12, you're just like, oh, okay, this dude's on our team? Crap, we're good to go. We're good to go. Doesn't make yeah, about, mistakes. How about the message he's sending guys like Devin White, too? Maybe guys that are disappointed they didn't make the Pro Bowl. That don't worry about it. You have a different bowl to play in. Yeah, just, just the ultimate. And then he's taking less money to win. Just the ultimate. Just one of the ultimate pinnacles and examples of winning, leadership, clutchness, toughness. And, and, and only one of the most clutch players of all time could throw the Lombardi trophy while on a boat, the guys on another boat. I know. That is Brady for you. That, that, that is Brady, but supremely clutch. Supremely clutch. And, and that's one of the biggest things, I think, when you make the argument about him, if he's the goat or not, he always was able to get better under pressure. That's something that guys like Peyton Manning struggled, even a guy like LeBron across sports, the stuff LeBron struggled his career. Ever since Brady came in, even as a young player, he was always good at being able to play under pressure. And even, I'll even mention this, I told you this before, people don't remember this, but he got benched in the AFC Championship against the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2001 before they would go on and beat the Rams. Now, a lot of people, you know, when they get benched, you know, they, they just got past the Raiders. They have been winning, right? A lot of people get down on themselves and whatever. And the coaching staff, Bill Belichick and everybody in New England had enough confidence to say, okay, he, it wasn't his game. We're going to put him back in again. And then he doesn't make the same mistakes. That's also part of being clutch. When you get put in the same, when you get put in those same moments, you don't make the same mistakes. And I'm just in awe of it. I mean, Brady is special. Brady's special. I'm shocked you don't have him one. And I'm gushing about Tom Brady. And I'm a Bills fan. I know what Tom Brady represents. I know who Tom Brady is. Ben, I know who number 12 is. I've lived the nightmare my whole life. <laughs> well, hey, man, it's about to get better from here for you. All right, Daryl. So number one for me, um, I think this dude is, is more elite than any of the other people on this list. I think he's performed under maybe more pressure than anybody else on this list. And that would be a guy that we were talking about during the break, Kale Sanderson. When we talk about him, we're talking about a four-time NCAA Division I wrestling champion. A feat that only one other guy has ever been able to do. Um, we're talking about, more impressively yet, that record of 159-0, Daryl. Undefeated. You are a college wrestler. You know probably even better than I do. The work that goes into that day in and day out. One talking about a Division One athlete, a young kid handling this level of pressure, that level of spotlight, and performing, just grinding match after match after match uh, for four years and going 159 and 0. And oh, also he was a gold medalist in Athens in 2004. Oh yeah, and, I, and I'll just mention this too about. I mean, obviously you talk about clutchness. Obviously, what he's doing with Penn State is the coach. Obviously, great coach too. Uh, and then I will also say this: you know, guys that he beat, he beat, he beat up on guys like Daniel Daniel Cormier. People, you might not know who Kale Sanderson is if you're listening right now, but you know who Daniel Cormier is, and he used to beat the crap out of Daniel Cormier in college. I beat the crap out of Daniel Cormier. And Daniel Cormier was a really, really good wrestler. Uh, Kale, even like, I think just as recently as like 2008 when he was like 34, he was still trying to make the Olympic team. And he was like beating like legitimately good guys in the la on the ladder, like in America. Like, Kale's a freak. 
<laughs> Kelsey Anderson is a freak. Obviously, the pinnacle, the pinnacle of wrestling. To think about that, to never lose. Like, think about that. To never lose. Not even have a like a down match, a down game. Like, you know how hard it is. Look at the Patriots. You know how hard it is to go undefeated. To never lose. To never lose. And then you're a college kid. There's a bunch of other stuff. You know, there's partying. You know, there's girls. There's a lot of all this other stuff that can affect your mental. And he never lost. Not only did he win the four titles. I don't even care about that necessarily. He never lost. He still found a way. Even do his bad matches. He still found a way to win. And people couldn't touch him. So, yes. I mean, Gail Sanderson's spectacular. You think, too, I mean, about all the times, you know, when you're not 100% and you have to go onto that mat or onto that sports field. And to never have a bad match that was at least not bad enough to cause you to lose. I mean, that is incredible. Uh, so, Kale Sanderson is, Daryl, my number one guy, my most clutch athlete of the last two decades. I like that. We got a wrestler in there. I respect that, Ben. Ben, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Anytime, Daryl. Appreciate you having me on. And once again, I want to thank Ben Karen for coming on the show. Always appreciate it when we can get Ben Karen, host of the Sports Wrapper Podcast, for coming on the show. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 297th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.